0: Welcome to the Bold Money Revolution podcast. This is your source for straight-talking, no-fluff, business and high-performance conversations that add real depth and value to the way bold leaders live, work, and thrive. I'm your host, Tara Newman. I'm here to show you how to optimize your performance as a leader so that you can grow a business that is profit-rich, efficient, and allows you to generate real, tangible wealth for yourself and others. We are here to help you lead with your values, to perform without overwhelming and burnout, and to do your most important work in the world. The toughest part of setting a revenue goal is knowing where to start. It's normal to be confused about this goal. After all, how many of us actually got a finance degree at the same time as starting a business? Mm, probably none of us, like a big goose egg. And if you weren't taught how to do something and then you combine that with the internet marketing world telling you what you should want for your business, well, it can start to feel like a game of Monopoly. Instead of having a revenue goal, you operate on luck, a roll of the dice, and simply hope you bring in enough, which would explain... Why 83% of small business owners are living paycheck to paycheck. It would also explain why business owners feel like they are working way too hard for what they actually take home. This free calculator is simple and easy to use. Here's what Alexis had to say about it. It was helpful to compare my current reality and needs with my dream needs and to see concrete numbers laid out in front of me. Seeing the numbers in front of me made my goal seem more attainable and not so overwhelming. I want you to head on over to revolution.com forward slash revenue and grab your revenue calculator today. I'm so excited. I have Mike McCallowitz here with us today. Mike is the author of Profit First, and he is my mentor as I am a Profit First professional. And I'm really pumped to have this conversation with him. Hey, Mike, welcome.
1: Hey, Tara, it's a joy to be with you. Thanks for doing this. And thanks for being a PFP.
0: Oh, my God. I love being a PFP.
1: It's a big deal. Like, it's a little bit of the, the feet on the street, if that's the right choice of words, of Profit First. And so I just love that you do it. Yeah, people hear the concept and they kind of get it, but they don't really get it until they do it. And they need the guidance of someone that's professional, professionally certifiedness. I just.
0: Yeah. That. I find people actually in two camps. I find them in, they read the book. They found it frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they get to the chapter where you start having them do the instant assessment in the book and their brain collapses, which was yeah. me. That was right, me. Yeah. I didn't actually read the entire book until after I was certified.
1: Oh wow, yeah, yeah, okay.
0: So, and then I have a book club program with implementation in one of my programs to take people through it. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, or then we have people who are profit first-ish and what they think is profit first is the bank accounts, which is actually missing the entire point of profit first. People get really super hung up on the bank accounts and the taps in the book, which is actually if you go straight to bank accounts and taps in the book, you're going You're probably in trouble.
1: It. I know. I you're know. You're in trouble. I know. And it's sad, you know, it's wonderful. that Profit First has been so popular. It's unfortunate there is some folks out there that, that try to teach Profit First, but they don't understand it. And right. so now there's this confusion out there in the market. They're like, well, I saw this video of someone saying, you know, you don't need bank accounts and, and you got to start at this percentage. And no, 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 no. Yeah. And, but whatever. Yeah. whatever. Yeah. It's a good and problem to have.
0: It is, but I also really appreciate the approach that you're taking with certifying people to walk people through that so that they don't wind up in that place Exactly, because they can really hurt their businesses actually. Oh yeah.
1: To me, it's like going to the gym. Like, oh, you read the book on some exercises. Now someone's there like, oh, I read the same book. Let's start working out. You know, let's throw this weight on on your barbell there. And then you start doing squats and your knees pop out. Like you got to do it right. You have to build the muscle, if you will, appropriately and you have to do the exercises appropriately. Otherwise you can injure yourself.
0: So. Yeah. So well, I have, I have Mike here and I, I know that if you're a listener of my podcast, you've probably heard the one with Ron Sahari and it's actually an incredibly popular podcast on my, That's awesome. on my, on my podcast and, and Ron and I really get into what is profit first and yeah. some of those details. And what I really want to talk to Mike about today is just some, maybe even more advanced topics and just his overall view of money and profit um debt and sort of what we're seeing in the economy and all those things. So, you know, Mike, I'd love to hear your hot take on the economy right now in small business. We're seeing a lot of changes in a lot of yeah,
1: this Yeah, this is the most bizarre economy it that really I've personally is. experienced. There's this weird divergence, right? So even as we're recording, Wall Street continues to explode, Main Street's collapsing. But even in Main Street, there's this divergence. There's some businesses that are crushed, some that are actually more successful than ever before. And there's like, this kind of like, don't talk about secret that if you're the successful one, better not say anything because you're, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't want other business owners to know you're successful because so many are hurting. Yeah. There's this weird psychology going on, but here's what I've, here's a couple observations. First of all, I think we have a responsibility to change the label. So this is technically defined a recession. I think we can call it the reinvention as small Mm -hmm. business owners. We can say, this is the great reinvention, not the 2008 great recession. Yeah. I think the second thing that's interesting is what I did uh, last year is I read and studied each recession back to the Great Depression. There's been, oh my gosh, now the number skips my mind. I think it was 13 or 14 recessions.
0: This is Here's, where Mike is my mentor because I did the same thing.
1: Oh, did you? I love yeah. it. Here's what's fascinating. Every single economy turned on the back of small business. Yes. That was what was fascinating. And the big names were actually this, the unknown names at the time, and they just repositioned they, they made the new offering, they reinvented, and they yeah. caught this momentum as the economy recovered and they facilitated faster sure. recovery. Sure. So, so I think coming out of this economy, it's going to be the, the names you don't know of that five years from now are going to be the big names. I think also, listen, we got punches in the chin. Like To me, this is the ultimate cold cock. you are walking down the street and all of a sudden out of a dark alley, this monster punches yep. in the face. And it's like, okay, uh, wake up, this small business. I think some businesses will never return to the, the way they were. I don't know if... Venue based businesses are really going to go back 100% to the way it was. There's going to be new flavors of it. And I'll give you one example. A restaurant in our own area here, when they had to go into a shutdown, a lot of restaurants were starting to do takeout, which is a good response. But this company did an exceptional response. They started doing cooking classes. They went out to their past patrons and said, Hey, you loved our main menu dishes. Why not cook this at home? We're going to have our chef come in, broadcast to your house over Zoom or whatever. And now you can do a, a two-hour cooking session and enjoy your favorite meal from a restaurant at home. And they made they were more profitable doing that than ever before. And they were re-engaging community. So it wasn't just one family doing the cooking class. It was now other patrons. And people are seeing their neighbors. And it's a great way to bring commune back.
0: Yeah. you I think at that level. Yeah. So what I've been saying is it's not a, a function of industry. It's a function of the mindset and the performance. It the really part. is. You know, I've I've watched people do some really innovative, especially restaurants, have have done some really innovative, creative things. They've also really leveraged their relationships that they've built, their brand loyalty with their customers. And I think there's a lot to learn from some of those folks. Um, I got to tell
1: you about an industry you would never think uh, could recover with DJs. Like DJs were... Restaurants were struggling. They could do takeout. DJs were done. Mm -hmm. And I heard this one DJ, she... uh, got a van, would drive to a neighborhood, a cul-de-sac, and put on impromptu house parties where you'd dance in your yard and lawn and stuff. That to- is brilliant. For 15 minutes. And she wouldn't charge for it. She had a sponsor. She said, hey, enjoyed our immediate da- dance party. This came from Joe's Pizza. Get your free pizza delivery oh God, or you know, a discount right now. So she became a marketing arm for the restaurants who needed to get the word out that they do delivery. It was such a smart strategy.
0: Yeah. You know, I started, uh, I actually... I was planning for a recession since 2018 because I saw the writing on the wall. You and I have been both through the great recession as business owners. And like, once you do that, you don't quite look at business life the same again. So I was was prepping for it, but this was really unexpected in how it happened. And I knew that when this came, I was going to double down on um, my, my own Professional development and really look to see where and how I can add value to my clients. And that's actually how I wound up being a PFP. That's awesome. Be- because that, like, so I joined in, I think it was like right at the beginning of April of last year, because I was watching how Profit First has been helping me and um, based on the loose recommendations that I'd been making to my clients. And then I was like, this is the answer. Mm like everybody's coming out with their 10 hacks to recession-proof your business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. But like profit first is actually the answer. Have you seen the fruits of your work come through very differently in this last year? Because just as a PFP, I have seen it.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah, I I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me. I I mean, it's it's in the thousands. Save their lives. Some people save their own lives using the system. Like, I don't want to say the system saved their lives because it's the execution. It's like saying- Mm -hmm. A recipe mm-hmm. makes a great meal. No, it's the person that actually cooks it. So but what was interesting too is there was people that just implemented it months before the recession by chance, like before mm-hmm. the before the COVID shutdown. And they're like, oh my God, I had runway. I mm-hmm. had time to think and adjust. It was the people that had no money that were just bamboozled and shocked. And they had to make money the next day and, and responded out of desperation. So yeah, it's 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 changed lives. It's changed lives. And it is it's such a blessing to be a little cog in the wheel of what happened in this situation and in a positive way.
0: I think the reason why it did that, it's, it's doing that, is because you can't talk about profit first without talking about sales and without right. talking about efficiency. That's right. And so even if you've been implementing this for a handful of months, you have a different perspective on revenue and on expenses. And okay. so you're already looking at that because when we, when my husband and I lost our first business in the recession, we didn't make decisions soon enough.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Like we didn't cut expenses quick enough. We yep. almost waited an entire year. We're like, oh, this is going to change. It's going to be okay. It's going to turn right. around. We're going to get there. Like we can still, so we, and we kept spending the way we were spending both personally and in our business. And that was the death knell. And so Profit First, I see people being able to have a line of sight and make decisions very quickly.
1: It forces a hard conversation earlier, to your point. Yeah. So you know, when when you take your Profit First, there's less money available to spend. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the the essence of it. And with less money to spend, now we have to start making these cognitive decisions. It's forcing hard decisions now. It is much easier to say, oh, things will turn. I can just wait this out longer. But it it puts it in your face. We call it, uh, we say that the business is now speaking to you. And once you've less money to spend, because you're taking your profit first, you have to become more innovative in the use of those funds. Uh-huh. Um, but also, it forces conversations like, how do you increase margin? Efficiency yes. is an extraordinary way to do that. How do you price repackage in a way that you can dictate a higher price point and the value uh, is perceived by a customer to be appropriate for that price point, yet it brings a lot more profit in? Those are conversations that we typically never have. We just hope that you know, things will get better. But now it's forced yeah. upon us.
0: Yeah. And then what we've done with my team is we've programmed a revenue goal calculator based on profit first numbers. So people, cool. people put in their household expenses and they can use it in a do in different models like basic needs. You can yeah. do it for like, you know, luxury lifestyle, do yeah. your money a purpose kind of a thing. And then it tells you how much you need to make. Yeah and then it translates that to an annual salary, and then it translates into the profit-first numbers.
1: Oh, I love that. So based
0: on how much money you need to make to support your lifestyle, it will tell you how much revenue you need, how much is going to go to taxes, how much is going to go to expenses, how much is going to go to profit. It's
1: amazing. I I love hearing that you've, you've enhanced the system like that.
0: So, you know, if you're in trouble you know, the bare minimum that you need to be bringing in to cover your expenses. And it it starts to have a different level of clarity and conversation where you can go, okay, maybe now's not the time to be thinking about a luxury lifestyle because we're in very uncertain times, but now's the time to be making sure that my family's protected, that we have money coming in, and this is how much I need to do that. And this is how much revenue I would need. And here's where it would go.
1: You know, the the ultimate irony of business ownership is uh, when I ask owners why you start a business, the two primary reasons is one is financial freedom. I don't want to worry about those. The number two is I want personal freedom to do what I want when I want. And there's some other reasons too, but those are two are I would say 97, 98% of the time are the two primary reasons. And the irony is we start a business and we don't experience financial freedom. We experience financial stress. We don't experience personal freedom. We experience more right. personal stress. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my gosh, why, why are we not doing this? Right. You know, in the calculator you've developed, Tara, is, is exactly what we need. we got to start off with understanding what gives us personal comfort, what gives us financial comfort. And that that is, as a business owner, it's our, our personal lifestyle. The business then needs to be able to support that. But what most entrepreneurs do is we don't even consider that. We just say the business needs to make more money. And more money. And, and then money. they
0: overwork like hell. Oh, it's because horrible. they don't know what numbers to hit. And it's,
1: it's pure arbitrary. It's like more, more will solve it. And, and it does, right. the greatest irony is this more revenue to a firm is actually more stressful to an organization. Correct. Yep. Because revenue means obligation. You sell something, you have yep. to deliver yeah, have on deliver. that something. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that becomes stressful. And so you start this horrible cycle of trying to grow your way out of it and it actually burdens you more.
0: Correct. Someone said to me the other day, another mentor of mine said to me, they go, oh, you're actually solving problems without creating new ones. (laughs) There you go. Because most business coaches are focused on get clients now. Yep. And that creates a whole host of other problems down the line. Down the
1: road. Yeah. But
0: if you're operating from profit first, you're actually solving problems without creating new ones. Yes. I like that. Which is awesome. So let's chat about debt for a sec. You have a really great chapter on destroying debt. Profit first. If you need to pay down debt, profit first is the way to go. My clients have literally paid down over six figures in debt. I mean, like massive amounts of debt very quickly, Yeah, but that's not actually the conversation I want to have. I want to know what's your take on debt being necessary. Is there good debt, bad debt in terms of your perspective?
1: Yeah. I I believe there's three types of debt and uh, I think two are good, but unfortunately we don't recognize that and we use these terms. So uh, let me explain what they are and then I'll tell you my my perspective. So there's what's called uh, debt leveraging. Debt leveraging is the idea of say I I have an opportunity to make some money but it requires money to do that. I borrow from you say $100 to do this thing. Debt leverage is where I'm going to get a return within a specific period of time with an extremely high probability so that I can pay you back and gain the delta, the difference. So if I know if I borrow $100 that one month from today of $200, I can pay you back plus the interest for borrowing that money and have the difference for myself. That's a debt leverage. There's another one called debt bridging. Debt bridging is where I go into a slow period of my business unexpectedly or seasonally, that happens too, and I use money to cover ongoing expenses with the predictable knowledge that within a certain period of time, a month or two from now, that I guarantee I'll be back in the black and I can pay back that money I borrowed to bring me through this quiet period. That's called debt bridging. But most businesses don't do either of those. Even though we say, oh, we're debt leveraging, we're not. Because the word is predictable. There is no predictability. We borrow money in hopes. So that is what I call debt anchors. Debt anchors are we take on money with the hope, oh, I do a Facebook ad, I'll get some money back. Oh, we're just going through a quiet period. I don't know how long it'll last, but probably a week or two. I'm just going to borrow money. And now we have an anchor because we owe this money back, but we haven't recovered. Therefore, we can't afford it. And now it's just stuck with us. And that becomes so burdensome. Now we have the accumulating interest and so forth. But even worse than that, it's just the stress of saying, every penny I make is going to this other person. I'm not ever going to get out of this. Yeah. Yeah. That's the problem I see.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I saw somebody, they were talking about mindset. People have a lot of shame around debt. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, well, I just flipped my mindset and now I um, believe that debt creates wealth and this is my mindset that I'm going to have. And I'm like, well, you know, like, I understand that you're trying to negate the shame around that. I said, I get that we want to, we can use and borrow people's money. I said, but this is really nuanced and I'm not sure this is the best way to, um, be communicating about this. But what I want to say on a very practical level is that what you're saying is, um, Profit first, here's how I think profit first helps. One, you pay down your high leverage debt. That's like what you do with your profit first. That's the first goal. Uh, Second goal is once you've done that, now you're building a cushion in your business that you shouldn't have to take on that much debt for growth or expansion because you're now pre-planning for that. However, if you have to take on debt for expansion, when you operate from a profit first model, you're doing it intentionally.
1: Right, right.
0: You're making right. a choice. Right. I'm not going to take profit from myself because you know I need to be investing this into the business, and I need a little more or like whatever you're doing. You're you're doing it intentionally because you have the clarity around the the numbers. Yeah, you
1: know, you, and you feel a personal impact. You know, we humans are emotional beings, so we respond to pain and pleasure. So if if you do take on debt and you now need to service this debt. And and I would say to suggest pay it back quickly. You have to address accordingly. The only way to do that is you could reduce operating expenses, but it means you have to increase margin or do something to address the, the reduced operating expenses. Or the other way is you start reducing your profit take, um, how much you're taking home. So now you feel at a very visceral level. I've taken on debt to expand my company, and uh, I'm going to pay for this. And by feeling that, um, you are much more selective in the debt that you incur.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So my last question for you, we hear a lot about mindset in the, um, business space, particularly the online business space and means different things to different people. But I would be curious because we all have mindsets, right? We all have belief systems and how we think. What are the some of those like mindsets? Those ways that people think are what they believe. Who have been the most successful with profit first? Are you seeing oh, any yeah. commonalities around like these people think of this a certain way, and so therefore they're super successful when they implement profit first, or yeah. because of that they do a great job at it?
1: Yeah, I'll give you. I'll give you three quickies. First one is profit is sustainability. Profit is contribution. You know, the negative mindset is profit, greed, profit contribution. When your business is, is profitable enough, it can sustain and it can be of service to more and more clients. Also, that money will recycle through when you have it. Uh, it's kind of like breathing. It comes in. Also, exhale it. it can, use it in ways that are of service to you, but which are also of service to the people that you're giving the money to. So, yeah. profit is sustainability. Profit is of service, it's contribution. The second thing is to use a shareholder mindset. Business owners that do profit first stop calling themselves a entrepreneur, which I love that word, but it's been bastardized to do everything. Oh, no bad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Grind and hustle. I hate those. Yeah. Words. Yeah. What people are now calling themselves shareholders. A shareholder is someone that uh, has equity in a business. They've taken risk by investing in it. Their job is to, to have the business grow and become more profitable, which means bring on more employees to be a healthy organization, but not to participate actively in it. Uh, shareholders share in the profit, and they give strategic direction. I, I own some stock in Ford. I vote for the new board. I give some strategic input on certain decisions. And so do all shareholders. And I get my distribution because I've taken risk. So use that label shareholder. The last one, and this is my favorite one, is your clients. Your clients want you to be wildly profitable. You have to understand its mindset. When a client hires you, they don't want you worrying about money. Could you, ima- could you imagine... You have to have like brain surgery, and your brain surgeon, she says to you, um, I'm really stressed out. I have no money. I'm desperate. I, I need more patients. Can we do your surgery right now? Because, no, don't touch my brain. Well, this is true for anyone that uses our services or our products. They want it to deliver value to us. They want us to be the most important customer that we have in that moment. They want us to focus on them. And the only way you can deliver any of that is by being profitable. So, your clients won't say, Hey, I wish you would charge more, or I wish you were more profitable. They won't say those words, but they want your full, undivided, best attention. The only way to do that is by being profitable.
0: Your customers benefit the most from your profitability for a lot of reasons. But I mean, you can price more strategically, you're more available, you're more present, you're more innovative. Like, there's just so much that your customers benefit from when. You're profitable, and I, I honestly think profit first is kind of the solution to crony capitalism. But we can talk about that another day, because um, I know we're rolling out of here. But I, any last words of wisdom, tips, anything you want to share
1: before? Yeah, we... yeah, sure. So here's the here's the last tip. If, if anyone listening in right now, if you have not done profit first yet, and maybe you're curious now, but maybe you're skeptical. That's totally normal. I invite you to do one, st- two steps, and you can do it before the day's out, and this will permanently bring profit. Profitability to your business. Step one is to call your bank and set up a savings account. It'll take a half hour. Actually, COVID's worked in our favor here. You can do it all remotely. Uh, just have them email you the forms and stuff. Step two is allocate one percent of your income to profit because it's such a negligible amount. You won't feel any impact, negative impact on the operations of your business, but you'll have a highly positive impact on your perception. Now a little bit of money is accumulating, and so it's a matter of time before you try two or three percent and increase it and deploy the full system. So that's the tip. You've no excuse not get started today. Set that one account and see how it serves you.
0: Thanks so much for coming by, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. If you've found this podcast valuable, help us develop more bold leaders in the world by sharing this episode with your friends, colleagues, and other bold leaders. Also, if you haven't done so already, please leave a review. I consider reviews like podcast currency, and it's the one thing you can do to help us out here at the Bold Leadership Revolution HQ. We would be so grateful for it. Special thanks goes to Stacey Harris from Uncommonly More, who is the producer and editor of this podcast. Go check them out for all your digital marketing and content creation needs. Be sure to tune into the next episode to help you embrace your ambition and leave the grind behind.